So good evening. Thanks. How are we doing? Good, good. A few people. Two people are good. That's great. Um, well, this is the last week of Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of crazy, isn't it? We've been doing this for the last three months, and we're finishing it off tonight. And we've been kind of covering this incredible, inspiring teaching series, um, the sermon that Jesus presents to us about what it means to live well, to think differently. Um, and in some ways, it's kind of a blueprint for human flourishing. And maybe for some of us, I know for me, I've been thinking about it um, more as we reach in the end. We've been asking the question, what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? And because like, there's so much to this, and there's so many different elements to it, it's so practical in some areas, that for us, we might be wondering, where do we start? Or maybe you're just so caught up in thinking about Muppets in German that you can't even think about what we've been teaching about in the last couple of weeks. But whatever posture you come to as we approach this passage, um, I think that this, this last section of Sermon on the Mount offers us a fresh invitation to consider what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, uh, from verse 13 through to the end of the chapter. So you might want to get that up just now on your phone or Bible. It'll also be in the screen behind me. But before I read it, um, just a fun fact for you. Um, about six years ago, Lindsay and I decided we were never going to move to Edinburgh. I had a conversation, it was a proper conversation. So we'd, we'd come down to Edinburgh from Aberdeen for the day um, because there was an opportunity for her, potentially, Lindsay, to study uh, postgrad. And um, I decided when we arrived over the bridge into Edinburgh that I didn't need sat-navs or a map, even though I've never driven Edinburgh before. Um, as I'd been there as a child, and I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a road to go. Um, and we had a little bit of time to spare, so it's like, let's go this way. Um, we got about hopelessly lost, and I arrived about half an hour late for Lindsay's interview, which isn't particularly good. So. Uh, very stressed, uh, very low on fuel. It's a good test of our relationship. <laughs> and um, on the way back, we were both drive. Well, I was driving back, and we had this conversation, and uh, we're like, we're never going to live in Edinburgh. It's way too stressful driving there. Uh, six months later, Lindsay moved to Edinburgh. <laughs> a year after that, I followed her down here, and we've been here ever since. I think God has a bit of a sense of humor with some of those things, isn't he? Um, and as we approach this series of teaching and finish this time in the Sermon on the Mount, I wonder whether we're faced with the same danger of um, my supposed familiarity with Edinburgh, <laughs> that we um, can come to this teaching, which is incredible, but we get familiar with it, and we begin to kind of assume certain things about what Jesus is saying and actually miss the direction that he's traveling. And so I, and I think actually when we read this, this section as we're about to come to, there are four images that he kind of presents to us. And within each of them, I think he offers us a choice. And that choice is this. Either we live in pursuit of Jesus and his kingdom, or we keep Jesus and his teaching at arm's length. So as I, as I, read, this, as I read this together, I want you to be thinking about that in your heads. Where is it that Jesus is offering this in each of these different images? And then we'll explore it together. So Matthew chapter 7 from verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Then everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And then when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So what a way to finish a sermon, right? Three chapters, and we have these incredible provocative images. And I think actually the first one is the key to this whole section of scripture. And what is that picture is in verses 13 and 14. Jesus suggests to us that there are two roads in front of us. One of them is wide and well-traveled and easy, but it leads to ruin. The other is narrow and less well-traveled and hard, but it leads to life. Or as Bilbo Baggins puts it, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your front door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Thanks, Bilbo, for that. Jesus' final exhortation to his listeners is this. Choose life. Keep your feet. Enter the narrow gate. Follow the narrow road. And then what I think we find throughout the rest of this chapter is that he follows each of these roads to their endpoints. He outlines the dangers and the traps that the wide road brings. And then he tells us the life and the purpose and the security that we find in the narrow road. But before we begin to look at both of these roads, I've got a very obvious question for us. But what is a road for? What is the purpose of a road? It's, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? A road is designed and built in order for someone to get from one place to another, isn't it? That's what a road's for. You only need to walk down Princess Street during the Fringe Festival to realize that roads aren't designed for tourists who think, without any notice, that they're going to stop in the middle of the street and take a picture of a building. Anyone? Anyone experienced that? The joys of living in Edinburgh, the Fringe? But I think the reason why Jesus uses the language of road, the implication of that for us is this, that we, we are always moving. And no matter where we are in our journey right now, whether we are exploring Jesus, whether we've been following Jesus for years, or maybe we're skeptical and are kind of holding ourselves back a little bit. And Jesus says here, all of us are moving somewhere. None of us are sitting on the fence. And of course, that's kind of obvious because we know the phrase, life is a journey, isn't it? That's kind of a phrase people would often use. And that's true, yes, but these two paths that Jesus describes here, they aren't like meandering paths around a village that has like nice viewpoints, different places in it. The paths are going in quite different directions and have quite different ends, don't they? And so the first thing that Jesus would have us recognize here as we come to this final section is that we're already moving, that we're always moving. And let me kind of explain why I think that's important. Because we, we live 
particularly in our context, in quite an information-driven age, don't we? In fact, there's never been a time where within your pocket you have a device which could answer pretty much every question that you might have to ask before you've even asked it, right? Um, if you want to know what the capital of Mozambique is, then it's just a click away. Does anyone actually know what the capital of Mozambique is? Yes. I'm going to be at your table tonight. Great. Um, and if you want to get better at being a leader and leading a business, and then there's more podcasts that you can listen to than is available for the rest of your life, really, isn't there? If you want to learn an instrument, then YouTube says there's five simple steps to learn an instrument. It's a bit dubious, but that's what it says. I never tried it. Um, but the reality is we've adjusted so quickly to this, haven't we, that, that sometimes we need to just take a step back and realize that even within the last 30 years of my life, we've moved from having encyclopedia series, anyone experienced those? Sales, door-to-door salespeople that we sell them to you? To the point now where they're entirely redundant, aren't they? Has anyone, maybe some people have never even seen an encyclopedia series. Has anyone not seen one before? Yeah, that, that's right, yeah. So, young people these days, eh? <laughs> So the issue is, and the challenge for us is, it's never been easier for us to treat information differently. Rather than allowing it to, to be something which we absorb and act upon and practice, we instead analyze. We hear the 140-character soundbite, and we go, hmm, yeah, that's good, but then do nothing about it. And we can listen to a podcast every morning, which tells us about the way to live well and never actually implement any of the practices. Right? I know I, I am in danger of that because there's so much good content and we end up not doing anything with it. And the danger, I think, is when we reach this kind of passage is that we're in danger of doing the same thing with the teaching of Jesus. We hear it, we nod in agreement at times, particularly the parts which kind of agree with where we are right now. But we also at the same time try to distance ourselves from our beliefs, from our actions, and for the ways that Jesus has taught us. We believe sometimes that we can almost observe from a distance, that we can spectate. And what Jesus says to us here is, actually, that's not really an option. In fact, the wide road, the easy way, begins there. When we separate the words of Jesus from the person of Jesus, when we separate the teaching of Jesus from the teacher, the wide, easy road is a place where we think that we can come on our terms to Jesus. And so this is the starting point. We're all moving on one of two roads. And the decision to spectate, to not allow those words to shape us and form us, is actually a decision to walk down the easy, wide path. And so what I want to do now is, just for the next little while, is to look at this wide, easy road and to see how Jesus charts it using the other images in this passage. So, we ready for that? Still with me? Good. Okay, so we're going to look at verse 15. So, Jesus says, Beware of false teachers, those who come in sheep's clothing, but who are actually wolves, who seek to destroy and to divide and bring ruin. So, he says this, this, this is the first snare of the wide path. It begins with this decision to take a step back and to analyze the person and teaching of Jesus. It begins with us separating teaching from teacher. But Jesus warns that this road makes it very easy for us to be influenced by people who might sound a little bit like Jesus, but in reality have very little to do with him and his kingdom. So what do I mean by that? 
The wide road leaves us very susceptible to living a way of life which is more determined by the values of culture than the values of Jesus. Because if what we do when we take this step back is we essentially we lower the teaching of Jesus onto the same playing field as the values of culture. And then when you do that, it's actually not very much of a step to begin to move from there to a place where you actually start to say, I'm going to pick and choose. I'm going to pick these teachings of Jesus, and I'm going to pick these things from culture around me. So an example of that would be, I think actually there's some elements of Sermon on the Mount which actually are quite appealing, quite popular right now in our culture. You might, you might have even been aware of that as we've been reading different parts of the passage. An example of that would be authenticity. So we as a country right now are craving authenticity and leadership, aren't we? We really want our leaders in government to do the things that say, they say that they're going to do. And so when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you let your yes be yes and your no be no, they were like, yes, that sounds great. I want some of that. Preach it, Jesus. You know, like we, we really are on board with that. But then when Jesus says, I want you to live differently with your money and your time, not for your own gain, but for others. And what we see in the culture around us is this is what it means to be successful, to live life well, is to earn money, and that's your money to do whatever you want with. Actually, you deserve to do whatever you want with it. And who is to say that that you should do anything other than what you want with that. And then we can easily think, well, you know, Jesus wasn't living in the 21st century. There's lots of stuff that I'd like to do. And so I think I'm just going to ignore that part of Jesus' teaching. It's not really relevant to me anymore. I'm just going to take it from here. Or another example would be around purity. So Jesus gives us this, this incredible different vision for living a life of purity. And what we see in culture around us is actually... Do what feels good. Sleep around. Look at pornography. Because it doesn't really impact anyone, right? There's no danger to that. There's no damage to it. And we think, well, you know, Jesus, that, that stuff that Jesus is saying about purity, that's a bit outdated now. So I think I'm just going to go with culture in this one. And the scary thing is, and this is what Jesus is warning us of, is that when we begin to go down this path, it doesn't take very long for us to find someone who will affirm that way of thinking will affirm that approach to the teaching of Jesus. He'll say, actually, that's fine. That's an okay way of us approaching Jesus' teaching. But the reality is, and what Jesus is saying, is this leads us on quite a different trajectory. We end up on this wide road and further down this wide road. So he says, be careful of those who are wolves in sheep's clothing. They will say things that sound like Jesus, but in reality have very little to do with him. So do we see this trajectory so far? Do you see where this wide road is going? And Jesus keeps going. Uh, there's more to this wide road journey. And at verse, he doesn't really pull any punches here. So verse 21 through 24, where does this wide road lead? Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Does anyone else get a bit of like a nervous sweat when reading that? <laughs> what is it, who is it that Jesus is addressing here? Um, so let's break it apart a little bit. Firstly, he's addressing people who call him Lord. And that word means that they know something of, of who Jesus is. They, they believe something of who Jesus claims to be. But then beyond that, this same group of people, they don't just say Lord, they say Lord, Lord. Um, and in those times, that 
was significant. That was a sign of emotional connection. It's like me saying to Lindsay, Lindsay, Lindsay. It's like a sign of affection. And she's my wife, so I'm allowed to do that. Um, so what it meant was that actually these, these are people who maybe felt some emotional connection to some of the things that Christians do. Maybe they felt an emotional response in worship. Maybe they feel emotionally connected to the pe- people in community who are following Jesus. And then finally, these are people that Jesus says who are actually doing some of the works that look like Jesus. These are people who are sharing prophecy, they're teachers, they're driving out demons, they're healing the sick. And he says of them, I never knew you. So thinking again about this wide road, it begins with a decision to take a step back from the teaching of Jesus, to analyze it, to do it when we, when we think it suits us, right? And it's a road where we're more easily swayed by the influences of culture around us. And then the next step is we find ourselves doing some of the stuff that Christians do and find our, find our security in that place of activity. The reality is, and what Jesus is saying here is, that activity isn't about relationship. You don't know me. I don't know, has anyone ever seen this, this show Suits? Anyone seen it? Yeah, lots of people. Good, good. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. I'm going to ruin the premise of it. The premise is this. They all wear suits. Great, as I turned around, you guys laughed. That was really nice. Yeah. Um, that's not actually the premise of it. So the essential the premise is this. There's, there's a guy called Mike. He's very intelligent, but he's kind of wasting his life. And um, he, he knows enough to be a lawyer. He studied, but he's never studied at university, and he didn't sit the bar exam, but instead he cheats for other people so they can become lawyers. And through this kind of unexpected turn of events, he ends up working as a lawyer in a law firm. And the whole premise essentially is this, that he's kind of like becoming more and more accomplished, more um, recognized as a lawyer by some of the things that he's doing. But underneath the surface, as viewers, we know that he's not actually a lawyer. And we know that at some stage he's going to get caught out. That people start to put pieces together and start to figure, right, there's something not quite adding up. He's not who he says he is. He's doing some of the stuff that Laurie is doing. He does it well, but that he's not actually who he says he is. And I think, similarly, the trajectory of this wide road that Jesus is talking about, it, it makes us become more focused on our externals to the point where we convince ourselves that it's these actions that ground us, that give us security. And in fact, we become convinced that that's an okay thing. Because the people that are talking to Jesus there, they're, they're fairly convinced, they're certain that they've done everything right, aren't they? And Jesus is saying, you've missed the point. You've missed me. You're on the wrong road. Then there's one last part to this journey on the wide road, which helps us to fully get a picture of where it leads. And it's in verses 26 and 27. So Jesus summarizes all of this by comparing two builders. There's a builder who's wise, who builds his house on a rock, and there's a builder who's foolish, who builds his house on sand. And this is where Jesus lands it. This is what he means when he says that the wide road leads to ruin. Because the reality is we can get by on this wide road way of living. Actually, it's easy. Jesus says it's easy. But the test comes when something knocks us for six, when something unexpected happens when we face bereavement or challenges at work or illness in our family or maybe even just disappointment with where, where we are right now in our lives compared to where we expect it to be. 
that's when this wide road reveals itself. And this wide, easy road doesn't prepare us well. In fact, Jesus suggests that we suddenly become quite aware of the fact that we're in too wide in an undefined place. And the ground that we thought was solid beneath us feels more like sand. The building collapses. Everything is called into question. And it's, it's, it's describing ruin, isn't it? This is the ruin which Jesus warns us about, and it's this easy road which leads us into this, even within our lifetimes, but also beyond. So do you see that being charted, that, that journey through this, this passage? Um, it's all been fairly cheery so far, hasn't it? Um, but what we're going to do now is, in the same way, let's look at how Jesus charts the narrow way alongside it throughout the passage. So what is this narrow way that Jesus offers us? Well, you'd be glad to know in one sense, it's actually more simple. But as, as is often the case with Jesus, when it's more simple, it's actually far more for us to work it out. It requires all of us in order for us to understand it and live it. So let's look at these four images again, these four pictures that Jesus offers us to finish the Sermon on the Mount and what it might be saying about the narrow way. So these four pictures are, there's a gate, there's fruit trees bearing good fruit, there's this relationship and about knowing God rather than doing. And then there's foundations in a building. Might be the next slide, actually. And all four of these images are hugely significant in the life and teaching of Jesus, aren't they? All four are also the ways that Jesus describes and offers himself to us. Jesus begins this section with the command, enter the narrow gate. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. Come and go with me and find green pasture. Jesus says, this is the way to life, not just in the future, but here, right now, through me. And it's narrow because it's specific. It's a person. It's not a set of ideals. Then further down, Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. And in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and you'll bear fruit. Abide, rest, find your place with me. And then in verses 21 through 24, Jesus is talking about the fact that we do work for him, but that we don't know him. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father. No one can know the Father except through me. Our actions are only in line with Jesus when they're based in a relationship with Jesus. And then finally, verses 25 through 27, Jesus tells us, if we take these words seriously and build our lives upon them, it'll be like building our lives upon a rock. And throughout Scripture in the New Testament, we see Jesus being described as the solid rock, as the cornerstone. In fact, Luke chapter 20 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it's talking about Jesus. He is the solid foundation. So here's, here's where I'm getting at. When Jesus invites us to enter the narrow gate, he offers us himself. Where Jesus says that you will know someone by their fruit, he invites us to abide in him so that we bear fruit. Where he suggests getting caught up in activities means that we'll miss him, he says, know me. And where Jesus talks about someone living wisely, he says, there's no better place to build your life than upon me. I am a solid place. And so the, the antidote, the redirection away from this wide road, which is undefined but easy, is through Jesus himself. It's not a new set of rules and regulations. 
but a journey where Jesus offers himself to us over and over and over again. And there, don't get me wrong, there, there's a cost to that. There is definitely a cost to this. That's why Jesus says it's a hard road. Because the cost ultimately was a cost that Jesus bore, giving all of himself for us, dying to make this way available to us. But the cost is also to us. And the cost for us is surrender. Because we can't have Jesus in our terms. It doesn't work. Something has to give. As soon as we try to, we slip back into the narrow, the wide road, the wide way of thinking. And that's the hard part of this road because it's a daily, moment-by-moment decision to place Jesus as the authority of our lives, to choose in each moment to bend our lives towards Jesus and to trust that even when the world might tell you that there are better ways to live, that he offers the very best way for us to live. And so as we, as we finish this sermon series and Sermon on the Mount, we shouldn't come away just thinking we've got a new set of commands to follow. Instead, we should see that this radical, and it is radical and transformational way of living that we've been reading about is our response. As we receive Jesus' offer again and the invitation to know him each and every day, we get the joy of living in a way which shows our friends and our family and this city what it looks like to know Jesus and love him. So there's two roads that Jesus offers us. He says, one road leads to ruin. One road is undefined, where we try and come on our terms. The other is narrow. The other is me. But I offer myself. And I hope that some of the language that we've been using over the course of the series is familiar to us because it's right at the heart of our vision as a church to be people who follow Jesus, be family, and love Edinburgh. And we can think that those are equal weight, but the reality is that the following Jesus part is absolutely at the center, right? That's, that's why he lands this way, that knowing who Jesus is and living our lives in relationship with him is absolutely key. And as we do that, we do that together because we want to pursue it together. We want to be inspired by one another. And in the best way we do that is in community because that's a place where we do it up close and personal, where we get to see our flaws as well as our incredible triumphs in prayer. And, and we believe that if we do that together as family, as community, that we will see the city transformed because the, 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 the kind of stuff that we've been reading in these last few months is incredible, isn't it? Like this way of living is so radical and so different and so loving that we can see the city changed. It begins with Jesus. Um, why don't I pray for us? Would you stand with me? And before I pray, why don't, why don't we just take a moment to invite God to continue to speak. He's been doing some amazing stuff already in our gathering. He's been meeting with us and revealing himself. And I just wonder if we need to give him a bit more time to say what it is he wants to say to us. So let's just take this moment to do that. in this last month, it's, it's felt like often our response has been surrender, hasn't it? Um, we've done that in different ways. We've often come to the front and kneeled. 
Um, and I think as we land this series about giving ourselves to Jesus again, one of the best ways we can do that and respond is through communion, which we're going to do tonight. Um, because in that act, Jesus offers himself to us again. He offers his body broken so that we can have a relationship with God. And it might be actually that as we take communion, we want to start from a place of repentance, laying down the things that we know have been us coming to Jesus in our terms and choosing to lay those things before him again and receive through communion Jesus again. So um, as we respond in worship, we're going to do that and the communion is going to be all around the room, different stations, and they'll be gluten-free and alcohol-free in the corner over here. Why don't I pray for us? So Jesus, we, we thank you that the vision is you. That it, it always has been. Forgive us for the way we've got caught up in other things. Where we've forgotten that. And I thank you that for each of us tonight that you offer yourself again to us afresh. And we just received that just now in this moment. We say thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. Thank you for this way that you offer us. For some of us, we've, we know that we've been on this wide road for a while, and in this moment, we just, God, we choose to say that we, we want to come back to you. We want to follow you more closely. We want to live life with you.